You good to go? Yep, let's go. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone. It's episode 71 with Julia Grincina. I had to practice that because I keep saying Christina. <laughs> you got it, got it great. <laughs> Thank you for taking time to do this, buddy. Thank you, Lachlan, for having me. Um, straight off the bat, could you please describe the way that you view yourself um, for our listeners, the way you view yourself as a woman and or human? I view myself equal to everyone else and I view myself as a teacher and a learner both and I aim to play both of those roles any chance I get. That's awesome. That's concise. Have you thought about that a lot? Uh, no, I don't really have to think about it because that's pretty much how my day looks like. Yeah. <laughs> if if I'm that's not learning, they... I'm teaching and if I'm not teaching, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, so say teaching what do you mean by that in particular um so teaching in terms of coaching clients yeah or running workshops or even if i do personal training same thing so always sharing information with others even if i'm around kids um you know just parting with the information and helping others to grow as well that's awesome so concise i love it <laughs> okay so with these stories we usually give a brief summary of childhood but seeing as your story starts at about 16 you can just go from childhood up until that point yeah sure I actually had a really good childhood I was really lucky I grew up in Estonia um, and I'm from a Russian family so I was really lucky because I grew up outside playing with kids enjoying the nature and we didn't have too much technology back then still so I was blessed because watching kids these days I'm like oh I'm just yeah I had a really good childhood um I think uh, the only struggle I did experience and during that period of time was being from a Russian family and born in 1991 which is you know just a year after Estonia got independence that was a little bit hard in terms of the conflict between Estonian and Russian um, cultures and Estonia has quite a large population of Russian people. So having to fit in in between both groups, going to Estonian school and having Russian friends and literally just fitting in and, and you know, in a sense being different or speaking different language um, that could have been a bit of a conflict at the time. Yeah. And I think that developed a little bit to the issues in the adulthood as well. Okay. Cool. Uh, what about your family said you're from a Russian family, um, but living in Estonia with a family, okay? Was it a good family environment? Family environment was brilliant. Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, my my parents were very supportive. I have a great brother. Um, my grandparents were always there for me as well. I think there might have been a little bit of intergenerational stuff going on because both families were posted there during the war times um but i don't know too much about it to to go deeply into the detail um but uh me and my brother my child was really good so i was really lucky that way <laughs> it's cool um in terms of uh that conflict between the estonian and russian cultures for you and that problem fitting in was it more than just um the barrier between languages um Barrier, for me, the barrier wasn't too bad because mom really looked after me and she put me in Estonian kindergarten where I could learn. So I was speaking both languages from a very young age yeah. and that made it really easy for me. But the biggest conflict I think was um, because of separation and because USSR was such a, you know, almost a predator 
and conqueror and then pulling apart from that for the country and the culture and that that Russian culture could be almost viewed a little bit as aggressive and uh, okay. yeah it's more like a protection mechanism I think I guess that's probably the way most people would see America at the moment yeah 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 definitely I can understand that then um so were you ever yeah. comfortable uh, being yourself when you were young if you had this feeling that you might be viewed that way yeah I actually I was very comfortable being myself and at times it was a little bit hard to fit in because what I was told at home and I was what I was told at school didn't blend together it was two different bits of information so and even like watching news from a young age you know we'd look at three different channels we'd look at the russian channel we'd look at estonian channel and then we'd look at like a european or or worldwide channel and i'd get all different views and then i'd go to school to speak to my friends there and it'd be just one side of the view so that was a bit hard but i was okay with with who i was in a sense um I just didn't fit into the groups. I think that really hurt me at a young age. How do you, is that something that was nurtured in you by your parents, like being comfortable in who you were? Because I know, especially me, I I was good that way growing up. But as I got older, I felt this need to try and mould myself to fit a group. And so like I lost sight of who I actually was. Did you go through any of that mm. at all or were you just like mm. cold, nurtured with that sort of self-acceptance? Mum nurtured that in me a lot um, and I had that for quite a long period of time. I was very comfortable in my own skin. I was comfortable with who I am until the teenage years started to come on. I think unconsciously though, there was a bit of modelling happening and taking on other people's behaviour on without knowing that. Okay. Um, and, you know... Mom did teach me really well and she taught me really good habits. But I think unconsciously I observed some underlying habits, the unspoken habits. And I think that might have contributed a little bit to my own behavior as well. Okay. Um, Well, we might as well dive straight into your story now if you're comfortable sharing it. Absolutely. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) So um, 16, I think it started. um, Teenage years and, you know, wanting to look better and appeal to boys. I think that that word appeal is a big part of the description of who I used to be. And um, I think looking for approval and again, like sense of fitting in because I didn't have that for such a long period of time. So while I was studying in high school, I started researching healthy eating and nutrition and stuff like that. But because I was so young and I had quite a limited amount of resource and I, I didn't really have any support no one in, in my surroundings was doing that and in Estonia at the time the nutrition wasn't a big interest like we didn't have nutritionists or dietitians or naturopaths none of that natural stuff so I just did what I could you know Dr. Google and Wikipedia and didn't know what I was researching tried a few different diets and I lost a whole heap of weight and with that um, I remember one day my teacher at school she was asking me she's like are you okay because you you know you don't look all right and I was having little blackouts at that time because I was starving myself from nutrients Wow. and yeah yeah she said she's like just maybe start bringing some nuts into school and nibbling on them and I was like are you crazy you want me to eat fats (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so she kind of sensed something was not right. And, um, you know, amenorrhea, so I lost my period for a period amount of time. Um, you know, thinning hair and dry skin because I literally cut out all sugar. I cut a huge amount of fats, not understanding what fats are necessary for and going still through development stages of being 16-year-old woman. Yeah. Yeah, so that played a big part wow. of creating the snowball. <laughs> so before we like, I guess, talk about the emotional side of it, I want to talk about how get an understanding of how a 16-year-old finds the will or the motivation to cut out sugar. I can't ever <laughs> imagine a 16-year-old that I know ever cutting out sugar. Um, I've, I'm a very driven person, always been my whole life. I think this is something I could probably contribute to my mum because she's always been like that, but she'd never had a before she never had an outlet to it. Yeah. And I think she encouraged me so much and having her support, it was easy to do it because whatever I would do, she would support me through it. Um, and I was, I was, I think it was thanks to her and I just took it a little bit too far, yeah. but, but I would follow through with whatever I set my mind on, I'd follow through. It's just, I didn't know what was the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and in all fairness, I don't think most 16-year-olds know what the right thing to do in terms of nutrition. So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, during that period, like from the time you cut out sugar and fats up until your teacher um, sort of highlights it or calls you out about it, did you start gaining interest like from the boys like you'd wanted to? Oh, I was gaining lots of interest, um, but it wasn't the interest that I liked. So I've always been really tall and always in a quite a, now that I can tell that, but then I didn't know that I was always in a good shape and there was also more, more so the sexual interest, but what I was looking for was the intelligent interest. And I wanted, I wanted especially men, but everyone to notice me for the intelligence that I had. And I didn't receive that. And it was really heartbreaking to me because I would constantly look for this and do these different things. And all I would get would be sexual attention and I'd be like, I, you know, too much. Especially when you're 16, yes, you play a little bit along, but it really, you start thinking, you know, what am I doing wrong here? Like, I don't want this, especially like old men giving comments and kind of a little bit seedy stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, I I was getting attention, but not the kind I wanted. Was there ever any influence um, that made you seek attention or appealing to guys in that way if it was just for like that intelligence sort of interest because like obviously changing your appearance to most guys would signal that you're doing so for that sort of interest yeah of course uh, I had no clue because I didn't have any experience at that time <laughs> I didn't know how guys were thinking and what they wanted it was more so um look creating friends as well because of where I came from and not fitting into the groups and a large amount of the friends that I had were male friends at the time and it was easier to talk to them because it's just how my personality clicked with them and when I started getting different attention especially from some of my friends and I was like this is not all right this is not you know not cool okay so do you have um do you remember the first time you got attention from someone like having gone through this whole period of your life like 
I guess from five to sixteen, starting a primary school up until that point, not really fitting in and not having the attention you wanted. Do you remember the first time you actually got it? The attention for the intelligence, you mean? No, no, no. Just attention and ge- attention in general. Yeah. Um. I don't remember the specific point where it first started. To be honest, like I was in a relationship from a very young age. I was only 14 when I was already kind of in a serious relationship for, that lasted me for five years. And, um, yeah, that I think there was a lot of jealousy involved over the years as well. And um, I think having looking for that freedom. But the first one where it happened, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Okay. Um, keep walking us through the story from, I guess, where your teacher sort of bringing it up yeah well so when my mom found out that you know i had amenorrhea so she took me to the doctor who put me on a pill being the right thing to do to support the hormonal cycle because we didn't have any natural therapies and i I wouldn't have a clue for for certain and she listed me all these benefits that it would bring you have a shiny hair you have shiny skin and strong nails and i was like oh my god this sounds amazing so she put me on a pill didn't say how long to take it for I was in a relationship, so that was working out fine. But the pill made me gain so much weight. And that wasn't that great. And I was freaking out. I was, what is this going on? So um, not happy about it. But I stayed on it because I didn't know what was causing it. And let's fast forward to when I was 21. And um, so I came over to Australia around 19. Had a bit of a good time for a couple of years because I was traveling, just enjoying myself. And then around 21, I kind of started to slow down a little bit and um, found some new friends in Australia and was quite interested in the culture here. And you know what the culture is like, you know, it's beers and on the weekend and barbecue. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of that at the, at the time and kind of started gaining more weight. And I found myself pretty much drinking a lot, living, especially living in Darwin, which is total drinking culture. <laughs> um, and I lost myself totally because all of a sudden I was in the middle of this strange land with the strange people, not knowing anyone or anything or myself. And I'm like, what's happening? What am I doing? And everything that I knew from the past, which was, you know, healthy eating and exercising. I used to dance. Um, culture as well was important for me being around my family. None of that was there anymore. And I, at that age, such a young age, I kind of lost myself and I knew that I wanted to stay here, but I didn't know who I was. So I pretty much went on a bit of a bender where I was so lost. I didn't even know where to start looking. Wow. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Obviously you've done a lot of work since that point. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, looking back now, do you have an understanding of why you were drinking so much? Was there like a feeling that you were running away from? Yeah, certainly. There was a lot of guilt, guilt that I left home and I didn't come back. And because I had such a strong relationship with my parents, especially my mum, yeah. I I was running away from that guilt. And I actually didn't speak to my mum for the first year almost at all, which is you know, going from being so close to not speaking for no apparent reason, just being lost and, you know, having a good time. And I couldn't deal with that guilt because I didn't know how how to handle it. And with the guilt also came fear. Fear if, you know, what if, what am I going to do? What's next? How am I going to cope with this? And also fear of um, 
being in a strange country and so I was supposed to go back to home to study at university to have a bit of a career path and I still didn't know what I was going to do. That's one of the reasons why I stayed was I was searching for that. But the more I was searching, the more lost I got. <laughs> and that's, that was the fear that I really experienced. Uh, were you at that point, like knowing that you struggled fitting in growing up, were you drinking primarily to fit in? At first, no. Um, actually, at any stage, I don't think it was to fit in. Yeah. It was part of the culture. But I told myself when I came here that I will immerse myself into the culture first to learn everything about the culture here. And once I get accepted, then start introducing my culture to people who were around me. And I think I went a little bit too far with immersing myself into the culture. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, keep going from there, buddy. Yeah. And after that, so because I was drinking so much and I kind of started getting a little bit of weight and, you know, didn't like it. I was in a new relationship that was working out really well for me. So I decided to join the gym, which was really great. Like, you know, I enjoyed it, it was for the right reason. And I've, I started doing more research and figuring out all these different ways to, you know, the new research of how to lose fat and how to get ripped and <laughs> toned and stuff like that. And I was getting really amazing results, really fast, really great results and a bit healthier than I did when I was 16. And I was like, wow, this is really working. I was a calorie deficit, strength program, cardio program. I was like, yeah, this is, I'm on spot. Like I know I should teach this to everyone. <laughs> and this cycle kind of continued. And I hit a point where I was um, actually quite skinny. That's fast forward probably four years or so. And I hit the the bottom of my mental health and I became depressed and that was the hardest thing because I didn't probably most people don't and you'd be able to tell this but when we're depressed we don't actually know that we are until we get the glimpse of the highs again and looking back I'm like oh my god like it was so sad it was miserable I was crying in the shower every day I was hiding from my family of uh, family of my partner at the time and I was still doing, I was still gymming hard. I was still eating healthy. Um, I, I was also smoking pots because I was still escaping the emotions from the past, the guilt and the fear and a few other things that started to pile up. Um, still drinking my wine because I found out a way to have a really good lifestyle where I could drink alcohol and be ripped. And I was like, this is working for me really good. So that's your macros? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the religion. <laughs> So I actually hit that's where I got depressed because I think what I thought were my values, which was fitness, I I got so far away from from who I deep down was that I couldn't even find myself anymore, and I didn't even know where to look. Okay, and um, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, so you know, just addiction to gym in a sense, and addiction to how I looked. And it came to the point where I was like never good enough. Always had to be a little bit leaner, lose a bit more weight, lift a bit more, be a bit more stronger. Um, And like my calorie counting, that if you fit your macros, I was so obsessed with it. I was eating quite healthy because I could understand the macros, the nutrients, micro and macronutrients both. But what I wasn't understanding is that 
me obsessively looking after it is actually causing detriment because I'm putting 90 to 100% of my energy into food and training and there was no no space for anything else. So my relationship was suffering because of that. I wasn't having any friends. I wasn't doing anything socially. I didn't have any hobbies. My only hobby was gym and food. And and um, I think they have a word for it now, orthorexia, where it's like obsessive healthy eating. And I did it for so long. I got so obsessed that if someone would touch my world, I'd bite back and I'd be like, you know, back off. And with that, anger came into the game. And that that really opened my eyes because when I, I started to notice that everyone that I talked to used to piss me off. And I was like, is this normal? Like, why am I so angry? <laughs> and that kind of lead, led me a little bit to start looking at, you know, what's going on and how can I, how can I help people how, not, not be scared of me because everyone would be petrified to be around me because I was so angry all the time. Yeah, and I was I started to realize that maybe what I was doing is not really what I'm passionate about. Maybe it's actually detrimental to me. And I continued the health and the the nutrition and the fitness game, yeah. but I also I started to think is like, okay, how can I fuel my passion because currently I'm so selfish, I'm doing everything for myself. And I was in this not very fulfilling job, you know, and the relationship kind of was suffering because of my behavior as well. So I decided to study personal training. And to me, that was the point of giving back and helping others who might be going through, you know, similar things like um, feeling lost and giving them a solution as training and nutrition, yeah. right? Yeah, so I got involved with that pretty seriously. And I was nutrition was probably my main interest, which still is, but differently now, more like the psychology of nutrition. And, you know, I became a personal trainer. I helped a lot of people, but still kind of in that cycle of wanting to look my best all the time. And to the point that I started to reduce my anger a little bit, but anxiety started to kick in. And I never had anxiety in my life before. Like, I, I, I couldn't recognize what it was. I didn't have a word for it. I was like, why am I feeling this way? And so for um, you, how did um, anxiety manifest itself? Um, heart, heart palpitations and darting eyes and not being able to look people into the eye. Yeah. Um, and always rushing things. Um, I used to break so much glass and, and plates and stuff at home because I would rush. And to me, that's how I would express anxiety. Whoa. Mm. That's pretty severe. It, well, I didn't, I had no clue what it was. Like, I didn't know, I wouldn't ask anyone for help because I didn't think it was a problem. But, yeah. Um, so, yes, like, back to depression and this problem with body image. Do you remember a moment where, like, holy shit, there's something really wrong? Like, I'm not yeah. just sad, maybe this is something more? Yeah, yeah. Um Catching myself in the shower where like, you know, how many days in the row it was, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I kind of lost sense of time at the time. And I would, I would bury myself in smoking weed and playing video games if I wasn't at the gym. But I, I literally caught myself with, with the weed. It was like, this is literally all I'm doing. I'll come home from the gym. 
have a, have a joint, start playing games. And then next morning I'd be crying in the shower and I was like, this is a cycle and noticing the pattern. And I was like, maybe that's not how we're supposed to feel. <laughs> yeah. So, so once I started to reduce the amount I smoked, I started to think clearer and all of a sudden I was like, actually I can think actually my anxiety is a little bit better as well. Cause that brought in a lot of paranoia for me, you know, everything else included. Yeah. Yeah. That's understandable. Um, I guess keep walking us through your story from there. I'll, I'll ask some more questions at the end. Yeah. Um, so in as a personal trainer, being right in the industry, yeah. and I hit the point where I was so slim, I, I wanted to compete and all these things, but I would never allow myself to do that because I'd constantly say that never good enough and never fit enough, never ripped enough. And I, I never did for that reason because I didn't have belief in myself. And I did have dedication to training and nutrition, just just no belief and constantly playing on my own mind, taking all the selfies and constantly comparing myself to everyone else, looking at pictures online and was like, yeah, this is an awesome body. I want to be like this one day. I'm not even understanding that, you know, we can't look like someone else because there's so many parameters and but uh, you know, the brain doesn't work like that. Brain sees something and it's like, this is real. I could put my face on this <laughs> and chasing that too, really religiously. And it, it, it started to really hurt me um, where to the point, cause I, I decided to start nutrition at uni. Yep. So I enrolled and I did this and I had some friends, you know, they were into bodybuilding as well and immersed into that culture so much and hearing you know how they talk and and the lingo they use and stuff they do and I'm like yeah this is awesome and all of a sudden like my relationship crumbled and I I'm not sure what actually happened but I knew that with anxiety the things went right and I started to to search further than what I knew at the time. And I started opening to possibility that maybe it's not just fitness and nutrition. Maybe there's something else involved. Maybe I'm missing a part of equation. So um, one of my clients that we actually started to chat and, you know, we kind of became friends and I overheard her talking. She was going to a meditation. So I asked if I can come along. She's like, yeah, of course, come along. So we went together to this meditation. And it wasn't just any kind of meditation. The lady who held it, she was a clairvoyant. And she literally, that was the first time I saw her. I didn't know her, who she was or what she did. I didn't even know who clairvoyant was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she, she literally saw through me and she told me or asked me, she's like, are these your problems? And I was like, fuck, how do you know? <laughs> and she gave, well, after that chat, she allowed me to give myself a permission to follow my heart. And I was like, what do you mean follow my heart? Because following my heart at the, at the time where everything was kind of crumbling was losing my status, losing everything I know. And nothing is more scarier than losing what we know. Because once we lose it, there's nothing there. It's like, what is the foundation? I'm not even familiar with my foundation anymore. And so many years has been since my upbringing and starting from beginning is, you know, too much effort and it's too hard and it's, it's scary. 
so giving myself that permission I just crumbled in tears and I was like okay yeah so I went back home and I dealt with it with with the breakdown that night and kind of I had a lot of introspection since then went back to meditations multiple times and that really helped me as well just taking that quiet time and to go within and and really shut down the bitch voice in my head yeah yeah Yeah, I think that's a major problem with anxiety is that if you don't have any sort of mindfulness mindfulness practice that allows you to cultivate self-awareness anxiety just takes over but when you do cultivate mindfulness or self-awareness through something like meditation you give yourself that chance to just stop it yeah one second where you can break or interrupt that pattern and sort of jump and and slot in another thought it's so liberating too isn't it to just experience silence for a little bit yeah it's um it is it's that's probably the best word to describe the first couple of times you do meditation especially the part at the end like the shavasana or something where you're just sitting there super calm like you can feel your body tingling that's the best part of it and it's Mm -hmm. for most people it's the first time they realize that they have not control but they have a choice of what thoughts they drift away with yeah and that's freedom yeah (laughs) yeah yeah just being able to see the thoughts rather than run with them or let the thoughts run the show yeah yeah i think the scary part for a lot of people is and i guess for me was as well is is to actually know what the thoughts are but once we see them it's like oh my god they they're useless they're pointless they inhibit me they distract me i no longer want these thoughts now that i know what they are take them away (laughs) yeah (laughs) a couple questions about your story buddy um in terms of like your body image we spoke about your your nutrition when you first got into that sort of pattern um when you were in school and then you had those health issues um and luckily it was brought up by like your teacher and you talked to your mum about it um but this time round do you have like looking back now do you have an idea of why it was that you were doing it because in, in the first instance it was to appeal to boys but this time like you're in a relationship um and constantly comparing yourself do you have a an understanding of what need you were trying to um i guess fulfill to be honest, I think it was just fitting in, simple as that, because it was always this, you know, coming from different culture and never having enough friends from what I perceived enough friends was. Um, and and it, is, it is comparison to the peers at school as well. Most of my friends were outside of school, so trying to appeal to different people and God knows why I thought that losing weight or looking a certain way would bring more friends into my life, um, but that obviously didn't work. <laughs> okay is is that the only the only sort of need you can think of yeah uh primarily i i definitely say it's fitting in more so because I, I was getting attention from my family and i did have friends outside of school but um yeah comparison uh, this time around not at school oh okay this time around yeah. um i think it was running away from the emotions okay because the emotions started to surface up, the guilt and the fear that I talked about, and then the sadness came in as well. And I think it was just 
it was a distraction and, and a depression of emotions, not like rather than expressing it because I didn't know how to express them. Yeah. I found a way how to, how to depress them instead. And I think that was the way because I was so dedicated and when we dedicate a hundred percent focus on something that actually silenced the mind. It's almost like meditation where we dedicate ourselves to the stillness and silence. I was dedicated and um, distracted by exercise and, and research of the foods. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I'm pretty sure that people listening to this who are currently going through that can probably take that and think, shit, what am I running away from? <laughs> Why yeah. am I so dedicated to something that I know doesn't make me happy? So that's profound, buddy, that the fact that you actually know that. And, you know, the scariest thing is people think it's scary to know what I'm running away from. The scarier, it's much scarier to think about what it is and how to go through it rather than going through it. Going through it is actually easy. If you've got the right support, you've got the right tools. Support, I think, is the key here. Yeah. Um, it's actually not that scary. It's actually quite liberating and empowering. But the thought about it is the scary part because that's what creates the anxiety and the fear and the rest of it. Yeah, and the longer you leave, like whether it's a tough conversation, like you needing to pick that phone up with your mum and worrying like whether she's going to be upset at you for not speaking for so long, like the longer you leave that, the more ammo you give yourself in your head to assume what someone else is thinking about you. Yeah, absolutely. And then start constructing that alternate reality that doesn't even exist. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so for, for you, that what sort of, I guess, kicked you into gear and made you take action? Was that the breakdown of your relationship? That was part of it. I think but part of the reason the, break, the breakdown happens of relationship because I already started to look and I realized that where I was, if I stay here, I won't be free to look. I had to go on a journey and I couldn't have any anchors. And relationship was an anchor at the time. Yeah. Um, but the other reason that I went on the journey was um, those meditations that I go to and having the permission of looking within and, and looking for something else. Um, I changed my studies pretty much straight after the first or second meditation. And I changed from nutrition to naturopathy, which is holistic natural approach, which is optimizing health rather than from coming from depressing the health really or depressing the emotions. Yeah. So do you feel like you identified as that person who was so strict with their diet and so like regimented with their gym, etc.? Within me. Yeah, did you identify as someone who was like that? Oh, totally, absolutely. Afterwards, not not while it was happening, oh, okay. but once I started to free myself up a little bit, I saw it clearly. And what happened when I changed my studies as well and allowed myself to not having to please everyone because the other thing, you know, going to college was like, oh, it's not as good as uni and my certificate's not going to be as good as uni. Yeah. Um, I went actually back home straight after about a month after and spent a bit of time with my family which was brilliant it was such a good time but when I came back to Australia I got really sick and I ended up in hospital and I think the reason that I got so sick was that the stress and the accumulation of all the emotions 
that finally got their way out somehow. Yeah. And I, I haven't learned how to work through them yet, but it's the, the taking of the guard, which totally crumbled me. So I had like this little spiritual awakening in the hospital. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You either need to surrender or you're going to be forced into submission. Totally, exactly <laughs> right. Because it will happen regardless, sooner or later, but it's our choice when it happens. Yeah. Um, I guess for anyone who's going through that identity crisis who knows that what they're doing nutritionally or, or even in terms of uh, physical output isn't really benefiting them and they're not doing it for the right reasons do you have any advice for someone who's going th through that transition from identifying as that person to something a little more healthy that might scare them because it may mean they gain weight it may mean they lose um, a certain friend group? The the simplest thing they could do is ask yourself, what is the meaning behind this? What is the purpose to act this way, to, to create this behavior? And then ask again, once they come up with the answer, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this? And keep asking the question until you can't have any more answers, until your answer is so large that you're finally satisfied because a lot of the times, so doing consultations at the gym, I'll ask people, it's like, what is the purpose for you to lose weight? You know, why is it important for you? Regardless whether they overweight or whether they lean, everyone wants to lose a little bit. I hear it all the time. And most people, they actually haven't even thought about it, why it's important for them. They're like, mm, I want to look good. I was like, what's the purpose of that? I want to look good at the beach. What's the purpose of that? I want to attract a partner. What's the purpose of that? Um, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to have a family. Okay, what's the purpose of that? And then I'm going to have kids. And, you know, and they go in a totally different direction. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with how they look. And our people have this distraction that to get what they want, they need to look a certain way. But it's not the truth. No one really cares about, well, some people do. Sorry, I'll take that back. But how much... Is it important for you to look a certain way versus to fulfill those values that you just found out about yourself, the actual reasons why you're behaving a certain way? Yeah. Yeah, it's all um, – everything is motivated by an underlying need, hey? Absolutely. And it's important because I've, I've worked in a gym as well, so like need analysis is a huge part of doing it. So um, – I guess if that's probably one of the best things that people can take away from this is going along that theory or even I guess it's the same theory as getting like getting to why by Simon mm. Sinek. Yeah. yeah. Why seven times and then you yeah. eventually get to a point where you have to give a real raw, honest answer. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It has to be raw. That's a, such a good way you put it because even like, People who tell me that to have confidence, you know, that's still not, not raw enough. Why is it important to have confidence? And then if you don't have confidence, then what's going on there? What are some of the self-limiting dialogue that you're speaking to yourself? What are the, some of the things you say to yourself every morning or when you look into the mirror? Maybe dealing with that first. Yeah. And, you know, because training and nutrition is very important. They're very necessary to be healthy and fit. So the mind can't work properly if you're not physically active and not eating well. 
but the other way around it doesn't work. Yep. Okay. Um, you spoke about the meditation, and after the second one, you changed your status, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> we spoke a little bit beforehand as well about uh, journaling, timeline therapy, and NLP. Did you want to um, tell us how those impacted you? Yeah, so briefly after I got really sick and had my spiritual awakening, um, I was just, I was open to the world. I was like, okay, anything my way, I'll take it. And I was literally like foundation without any framework. And it was, it was an interesting period because all of a sudden I started to see opportunities. And I was told in the past that, someone told me julia you just walk in this corridor and there's all these doors but you're not opening any of those doors and you just tunnel vision and i was like yes i'd love some doors how can i open them she's like you just have to surrender and i was like oh well whatever i'm not gonna surrender this is all i know (laughs) and after that event i surrendered and all of a sudden i was like wow that door is open wow all these opportunities came and i stumbled across this one day introduction workshop and NLP and I've actually I've been meditating since I was quite young since I was 16 and I was reading um, psychology books since I was young as well my mum was always also into NLP a little bit but I didn't know what it was and he hooked like I got so hooked on that first workshop so I, I signed up there and then and did the course without knowing what I was signing myself up to <laughs> and again I went in with like open arms saying just just anything just help me through and I learned almond therapy techniques through that and that literally blasted me through all of my emotions and beliefs from the past so intense I'm absolutely interested to know what you got out of it because I haven't done it yet but everyone who talks about it seems to rave on about it like the closest I've got is probably like holographic NLP just stuff like that or breathwork where you go back and experience certain events and traumas but I really want to know what you got out of timeline therapy well first of all I accessed some events from the very young age that there is no way to recall consciously that blew my mind open because all of a sudden I was like what is this brain thing there's so much more going on that I'm not aware about As soon as I surrendered and I said, yes, it's okay to change my perception and it's okay to change how I feel, all of these things started to pop up. If you ask the right questions or you you have the right direction and the right intention, of course. And like I've understood how much fear I had as as a child growing up, how many limiting beliefs I had, what caused certain behaviors in terms of why I was chasing, um, the certain body image and, and, you know, getting so stuck with nutrition and it, it came back down to, you know, my wanting to be seen as intelligent rather than sex appeal. So it was just liberating to one to know, but two to let go. It was, it was great because I no longer had to carry it. It's like taking off a massive, like a white vest off my shoulders. Yeah. And once, once you understand and acknowledge what it is that's compelling you to behave a certain way, you can actually take action. Like you're not living in uncertainty anymore. Yeah. Well, when we know how the behavior is constructed, we can change 
certain patterns that will change the behavior. We can change our thought process to be constructive rather than destructive. And with that, we can create the reality slowly that we desire rather than living from the victimhood from the past. Very well articulated. <laughs> Thanks. I love that. Um, so for you, speaking about it all come back to that intelligence and wanting that sort of interest rather than that sex appeal interest, what do you remember like a, a moment or an event that made you feel that you weren't worthy of that intelligence or which made you feel like you couldn't get that sort of intelligence interest? What came back to my mind was walking on the streets of my hometown and getting car honks as a young girl walking along with my girlfriend and we both were wearing mini skirts. And that made me feel extremely uncomfortable. Um, and that just sparked in me that I was actually causing that attention. Because you, you mentioned it at the start that the guys think that way and, and I was putting out it out there. But I didn't know that I was putting it out there in the moment. Then after the, going through my limiting beliefs, I understood that the whole time I was creating a certain behavior. And I could see where my partner's jealousy was coming from and, and you know, because that caused a lot of friction. And that's not just one, that every partner that I've had in the past, there was a lot of jealousy. So again, the same pattern. And I was like, why am I getting all these jealous guys? I don't want to deal with this. But I understood that I was actually betraying that. It was a reflection of the universe on me, not on them. And I had to see that for myself to accept my own downfalls and accept my own projections to change them. Yeah. Do you have an understanding of why... Um for interest based on your intelligence, you went through the physical, like a physical transformation the first time and the second time? Like after having gone through timeline therapy and meditation? Um, can you repeat the question again? Just because I can't make the correlation between transforming yourself physically to get the interest in terms of how intelligent you are mm. like do you, under, do you have an understanding oh, well, of that? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay so um correlation between my body image and um looking for intelligence seeking for yeah. intelligence so i think I think the body image thing, because it started in the young age looking for uh, groups to fit in, and then it was more repression. I don't think there's too much correlation between two, to be honest. I think um, it's almost like I was blackmailing myself because I was trying to appeal with intelligence, but instead I was portraying the different behavior. And I think that's where I was lost myself a little bit because I thought that, you know, this will be enough to the body image will help me for people to notice me. But the way they were, they were noticing me wasn't the way I wanted it. So I, I didn't put the two together myself. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's a conundrum for most people who are looking for anything when they sort of try to transform themselves physically. Yeah. Yeah coming away from something else yeah um, yeah 
you also spoke about journaling. Can you give us a rundown of how you implemented that and what you got out of it? I love journaling after meditation or any kind of reflection. Yeah. Um, so I do a little bit of inner contemplation and I do different meditations. Sometimes it will be manifestation. Sometimes it's just the chakra balancing. The other times it's just a still contemplation. And those still contemplations are most interesting ones because they will always surface something up. And that's the time when, when you bring in silence, stillness and silence, you will notice that it's never silent. There's so much going on. Well, it gets a bit more quieter over time. Yeah. But the, actually that background noise can be very valuable at times if we choose to notice it. And I do like um, writing it down because it comes in sparks when we don't expect it. And if I write it down and then I later look at it, I'm like, this is stupid. How am I going around carrying this? I don't want to carry this. And that's where I really enjoy journaling. And I can, if I don't use someone therapy, I can use the belief or whatever thing came up, the thought that I might have and just break it down and ask myself a series of questions and see where it takes me to find out the root of it. Or even importance of it. That's really cool. Is that sort of the one you turn to most often, that style? Yeah, the, uh, in terms of style, yes. I haven't been doing a lot of journaling recently um, because I, have really, I haven't really, I have felt the need for it. And my meditations actually have become quite silent. I've, I've really enjoyed just experiencing the energy and the vibration inside rather than the noise because there's not a lot of that left. And it, it's a beautiful feeling. So now I'm mostly journaling. If I hear some sort of wisdom, I'll write it down and then I'll contemplate on the wisdom later that I've come across. That's powerful. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess meditation, you, you spoke a little bit about it there. Can you give us a rundown of how you meditate, um, what you've taken out of it? I... Uh... To get started, I recommend people to start with a Calm app or Headspace app, something really simple, someone that who can guide you through so people can learn to just sit still because most people can't. They fidget, they turn, they open their eyes, so many distractions. So I recommend starting really easy. What I do now is if I do a silent one, I will take longer time because it takes me a while to get into it. So usually it would be 30, 40 minutes, sometimes a bit longer. And I literally just set a timer, quiet room, usually a bit darker room as well. So the sun's not into my eyes and I don't get distracted. And I just sit there and just sit and feel. Always with a straight spine so I allow the energy to circulate in my body so I can experience the sensations. And it's always a different journey. You know, there's, there's no guidelines. Um, but my other favorite one, I've, I do occasionally Joe Dispenza meditations. I love his stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're very, very powerful. And... What he teaches as well is to do breath before meditation. Yeah. And we do that in yoga too. Um, and it's so powerful just, just to pull the mind out of the body and to silence that mind. Even the breath that we use in yoga, which is called Kapalabhati, skull shining breath, literally to shine the skull from the thoughts. And it's so powerful in just silencing the mind before getting into meditation. And I think these simple things is what people could take away in their own practice. Yeah, and... Like along the same sort of train of thought, I've found that my most, I guess, when I've got the most benefit out of meditation, it's been from doing like cold shock therapy 
whether it's cold shower or like cold swim before a meditation it's like just zoning in it's like mm. it's like warming up for an athlete yeah yeah i agree i think it's very powerful to do cold showers or, or cold pools um and i i frequently go to sauna and then i'll jump into cold shower afterwards and it is you just stand there and there's nothing there just just the feeling it's brilliant <laughs> okay buddy um what from your story knowing everything that you've been through what would you say are the lessons that you've taken away from your experience of life so far the biggest lesson is to let go of the fear and just jump jump into that cold water jump head first try it out and get support someone to guide you through it so you, it, it, it is scary to do it on your own the second one is trust the journey you know everyone is about destinations let's set some goals let's achieve those goals it's like what about how do you get to that goal that's the most important part yeah. that we all overlook yeah how do you get to that goal and why do you feel that it's necessary to achieve that yeah yeah exactly why specifically that goal <laughs> yeah um knowing what you've been through growing up not being able to fit in that those cultural differences um that what you went through health-wise with nutrition and losing your period and then obviously being in Australia and having that guilt towards your parents for not contacting them, going through body image issues, selfishness and losing your partner until you finally come to a point where you start taking action. Knowing you've been through all of that, what would you say the quality of your life is like now? Amazing. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm so lucky. I'm so grateful every single day. I'm just grateful for my existence, for this experience as a human being. I think it's fascinating and there's so much more that we're not aware of. We're so stuck in this physical world, the materialistic world. If It's, it's like if I don't see it, I don't believe it. And I like to reverse it and say that if I don't believe it, I won't see it. So I start with the beliefs first, create some beliefs that will be constructive and then you will see the results. Damn, have, have, do you practice this a lot? You're coming out with some good catchphrases. <laughs> uh, it's part of coaching. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Uh, what have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it? I guess Limited. apart from the stuff that you've already um, yeah. mentioned. Um, look, negative beliefs is a huge one. Self-doubt, you know. We all have a little bit of that every now and again. It still creeps in sometimes and I'll still deal with it, but I think that's the life. Um, and dedication as well, not just trying it for five minutes a week. Like, you know, try it five minutes every day. Dedication is so important. Of course, not getting obsessive about it because that's not healthy as we found out, but putting a bit more energy into what's important to you and, and knowing, you know, why is it important. And that probably relates most to meditation because when you start it, that shit is hard. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. And it's not pretty either. No. <laughs> Especially if you don't know what to do with all this stuff that just surfaced up. It's like, what? yeah, there's a lot of gunk. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> um, for you, because let's be honest, most people listening are going to have that sort of self-doubt, that monkey mind or that voice in the back of their head. You spoke about um, removing self-doubt. How how do you go about that when that does arise? 
Um, I'll ask myself a uh, like series of questions. Um, always what, how I got to lose is my favorite one mm-hmm. because I think the self-doubt comes from fear of something, you know, fear of being judged, fear of being rejected, fear of looking like a fool. <laughs> and if I deal with those fears, then the doubt will go away. And the other thing is um, chunking it down. Like if, if you do experience self-doubt, how can you just zoom in closer to what's causing the doubt and thinking, you know, is this problem really as big as it is or is it just because I haven't thought it through in a more finer detail? Yeah. Awesome. What are you most grateful for right now? For my existence. Seriously, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> I wish I could high five you through this laptop. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, all right. I haven't asked this one in a while. Uh, knowing everything that you've been through, knowing that you're coaching now, all the work that you're putting in in terms of study and like self-development, do you have an understanding of what your bunny ears purpose is at the moment knowing that in the future it may change i feel like all of our purpose and i don't want to speak for others but i do feel like all of our purpose is enlightenment and to get to that the purpose below that is to help other people to get there yeah yeah and and how we get there how we help others to get to enlightenment is slightly different and everyone what they do is perfect for what they do as long as they recognize how they're being purposeful or how they're benefiting humanity on a larger scale. Yeah, love that. Going to get super esoteric and meta right now, but I had a friend say to me, he was talking about some sort of belief that our purpose is to be on here and to get the collective, like the whole species to vibrate at a certain frequency and then we'll all like cease to exist. And I was like, shit. I love that. If, yeah. <laughs> if that's the purpose, I'd love to be a part of that. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And I think the more people we get on board, the stronger the vibration, and then we'll help to pull those up who don't even know that it's happening. Yeah. Um, last one, if you had the chance to put a message on a billboard, uh, somewhere you know thousands of people would see it every day, what would that message be? Look up and smile. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> simple <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right buddy that's it from me like before i let you go before we wrap up i just want to acknowledge you first of all for coming on and doing this sharing your story so openly um unpacking it for us too but mm. most of all thank you for what you've been through um all you've done to improve yourself um, and, and develop yourself like striving to achieve self-actualization and enlightenment love it and i'm so stoked there's someone like you another soul like you in perth doing what you're doing thanks lachlan i'm so grateful to be on this and and i do have to say i'm blessed with the experience that you gave me but also the work that you do is absolutely amazing and i hope you just grow massively from here and and take over the world because it is so important uh, we'll grow thank- together buddy <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> for thank everyone you so much you have a good thanks, night so- you too see ya see ya